Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. Thank you, Sally, for another great show of Out of the Pen. Sally and her guests are fabulous all around, so tune in to Out of the Pen every Sunday at 12. And while you're there, you can just stick around to catch us at 3CR Community Radio. I am Davita, your host today, together with Adam. Hello, Adam. Good day. And today we're going to talk about animals who are all around us, all over the world, but who we don't know very well. And I am talking about microbats. You might have seen them fluttering about at night, chasing insects, and there's so much to learn about them. So our tour guide for the wonderful world of microbats is our special guest Erica from Microbats Melbourne. Hi! How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, microbats. What can you tell us about your first encounter with a microbat? What was it like? What was happening? Oh, my first encounter. Um, that would have been shortly, shortly into my journey of rescuing bats. So I started um, rescuing bats due to I love the flying foxes that I have. So the flying foxes are the big ones that we see at night. Um, usually they come over in kind of big groups and they are the ones that are really noisy in fruit trees and in flowering trees. Um, and they're the ones I think a lot of Australians on the East Coast are, are really quite familiar with. Um, so I was doing a few rescues of them um, and I was asked if I could go to a microbat rescue and I had no idea what to expect but I was keen so I went and I turned up and there was a tiny little gold wattled bat in a building he got in and got himself stuck and I saw him and that was it I was in love with everything microbat from that point on I just <laughs> thought that he was absolutely amazing and since then I've I've um, gone down the specialization of microbats so it all started with that one little gold wattled bat rescue. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say little, how how little are they? Gold wattled bats are they come in at about fifteen grams um, on average. So they earn the name microbat definitely, <laughs> um, considering the flying foxes are anywhere from say six hundred grams to a kilo. <laughs> so quite a bit smaller than them. And the smallest one we get in the country. Um, is a Victorian local and that's called the little forest bat um, and they come in at four grams fully grown so very very small oh 
And what's the cutoff of a microbat? What what means you're in or what means you're out in the microbat world? A really good question. Um, it, it does hit a bit of a grey area, um, but generally microbats are bats that use echolocation. So they're the ones that send out radars like, like dolphins and things. Um, and one of the biggest ones, I think it's the second biggest one in the world, is an Australian local up in the northern part of Australia, and it's our ghost bat, and he's 150 grams. Mm. So they don't get massive. Let's <laughs> just say that. That's <laughs> that's on the definitely the upper end of their size. So yeah, they 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 are all quite small. Mm. So if a four gram bat has a a baby, how small would the baby be? So microbats in general have babies that are roughly about 30% of the size of the mother. So I don't envy that at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it means that a four-gram bat usually has a baby that's anywhere from 1.2 to 1.5 grams. Mm. Wow. Absolutely tiny. Yeah, that's fabulous. And I, I've seen a few pictures and a few videos of microbats, and they have the most intricate faces because sometimes they have like this this nose leaf that has is shaped could you tell us a bit about their their faces <laughs> yeah definitely so when we think about flying foxes and i generally refer back to flying foxes a lot because as australians that's what we recognize as bats and they mm. look quite dog-like and very cute and and and, and very yeah very dog-like very foxy obviously their name mm. um but they rely a lot on scent and sight for finding their food whereas when you see pictures of microbats like you said they have these intricate face details so they'll either have these gigantic ears with have lots of little folds in them or they'll have these elaborate nose leaves or you know wrinkles in their face and things like that they're all like they, they all differ so much but it all has to do with when they send out their echolocation calls which are like when we think of radar they beep 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 <laughs> they send those out And it's when they come back, all those different folds and different ear designs are all designed to receive that information back in. So it's all, it's very elaborate, but for a very, very good reason. Because at night, um, the, the phrase blind as a bat is a bit of a misnomer, but see quite well. Mm. <laughs> but um, they probably see a little bit worse than us. So if you can imagine pitch black night, um, we don't see that great. Uh, and they're hunting bugs that are zooming around. So that's why they rely on that that radar system or echolocation. So they've got to receive that that information back in and their face and ears can kind of act like a, almost like a satellite dish to receive mm. that information back in and process it um, in time for their them to send out another call and receive it back. So that's, that's why they have all these different elaborate designs all evolutionarily developed to, mm. to receive that information back. Yeah. Yeah. So where, like we mentioned, we can see them at night, chasing insects, um, zooming around. But where do you usually, where do the people in Melbourne usually encounter bats? We get most people encountering bats in their home. Um, mm. So sometimes bats fly into a window Um, and then, much like birds, immediately forget how they got inside the building and panic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we get called to a frantic bat and a frantic human, not knowing what to do with each other. <laughs> 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 or 
Or another really common thing is for bats to live in the roof. So a roof space is an ideal bat cave um, and they love setting up shop in there. Um, the other really common way people encounter bats is, unfortunately, bats are a really fun cat toy. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of cats will bring them in and kind of drop them on the floor for their owner. And the owner goes, oh, a mouse. And then these wings come out and they go, oh, my God, it's not a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we really appreciate people calling us for those ones because um, given all the bacteria and stuff that are in a cat's mouths, we need to start those bats on antibiotics. Um, but bats are just all around us. So even I've had calls for bats in Melbourne CBD. So there's hmm. there's no place where they're not. We just don't see them very often because they're so small and agile. Um, some of the smaller ones, so like your forest bats and things like that, you often mistake them for moths at night. They're mm. just, they're so small. Like the bogong moth that we get in Victoria is bigger than a lot of our microbats. So oh, wow. Yeah. A good place to see bats sometimes if you're lucky because they are very small and they're not like the flying foxes where they live in these big groups that you can just go and see during the day. Um, is if, you get a, if you get a good street light or a good like sports light or those really bright lights that attract a lot of bugs, you can sometimes see bats darting through them hunting the the bugs so they've worked out that those lights attract a lot of bugs and that's a good dinner spot <laughs> and you talk about bats and micro bats being sort of all around us um in cities and urban environments um it's i think what we're talking about here in particular uh would you would you say that um micro bats have adapted well to urban urban environments and human dominated environments or are there some that don't do well in these environments and they're sort of pushed out and we're left with those bats that do do well similar to you know there's some birds that do really well in urban environments others that don't like it at all uh, are micro bats winners or losers um, when it comes to adapting to human um, landscapes so that's a really good question and it's very similar to birds we get some that do really well adapt really well and then we get some that just absolutely don't like um, urbanization and the spread of humans and they're not doing so well so um, the cave bats specifically so not all microbats live in caves a lot of our microbats um, prefer to live in tree hollows um, so of dead and living trees um, but that we do have species that live in caves and those bats in particular ones are really struggling because they just want no part in urbanization they want no part with humans and uh, for example, just in Victoria, we've got three species of cave bat and all three are quite endangered down here. So we've got the southern bentwing bat, which is federally, federally listed as critically endangered. That's mm. when they've got two maternal roost caves of that left in mm. the country. Um, we've got the eastern bentwing, another cave bat um, that's on a state level listed as endangered, and the eastern horseshoe, which again on the state level is listed as endangered. All three are cave bats and they're just really suffering from habitat loss, unfortunately. Um, but we have bats like the ghoul twaddle bat um, and the forest bats and another species called the lesser long ear bat that seem to be coping okay with urban urbanization. Um, they just seem to be getting themselves into a bit more human-based trouble than I think they would be used to. So um, things like roosting in houses, roosting in sheds, um, roosting in big uh, factory warehouses and things. Um, and, and coming in contact with people. So, yeah, those guys are doing a bit better, but our cave bats are, are suffering quite a bit, unfortunately. 
Hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to get into the care um, a bit later. So maybe after the first song. But before we do that, um, I really enjoy hearing about different individualities of pets and sort of personalities or their characteristics. Um, what, what sort of things stood out to you when you look at their behavior? In Yeah, what are their personalities like? Yeah, no, definitely. Even though they're really, really small, these guys are chock-a-block full of personality. <laughs> it's been one of the one of the best things um, the last couple of years running Microbats in Melbourne is learning these different personalities and meeting all these little tiny individuals and how much sass they can have in this, this <laughs> tiny little packet. It's been so entertaining. Um, and there's there's a couple where, like, for example, the little forest bat, the smallest one we get, um, I kind of say it's the chihuahua of the bat world and it <laughs> suffers really heavily from small bat syndrome. So they are just little crank pots. Like they are just... If a, if a little forest bat comes to me and it's not 10 out of 10 on the anger scale, there's something wrong. Like, <laughs> and they're great. And then the ghouls waddled bat, which I mentioned before, I call them the Labradors of the bat world. If you give them food, best friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, great. Good stuff. Like, I'm, I'll be so angry. Give them a mealworm. Oh, they love me. Best friends forever. So... <laughs> And how does how does that show their anger? Well, yeah, their anger and also their being your best friend. Like, what sort of things do they do? It's, it's one of those things that's hard to explain, but in a way, like, when they're angry, they're very vocal, um, a lot of teeth showing, going, I'm a big scary bat, even though, you know, they're, they weigh less than a 50-cent coin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of teeth, a lot of wings, a lot of kind of, I'm going to get you, and you're just kind of going, all right, little tiny thing. Yes, very good, <laughs> very scary, well done. <laughs> and then when they kind of get used to you a bit and they realise they're not going to hurt, that you're not going to hurt them, that kind of comes down there, a curiosity comes out in them. So there's a lot of smelling, a lot of looking, a lot of investigating, a lot of kind of like, oh, what are you? Mm. Oh, is that is that food? Oh, it's not food. That's sad. Um, <laughs> it is sad. It is very sad. So, yeah, <laughs> they, they do have a lot of those kind of dog-like qualities that we mm. as humans tend to love. And so that's, it's really nice seeing that aspect as well. Hmm. And what, what is their, I know they live in really big groups. I know some of the cave pets can have like in the millions um, living together. What are sort of their family structures or their social structures? Is there, what's, what's, what's happening there? So bats are really social animals. Um, like I said, some of the cave bats live in groups of, especially in the US, several million um, bats. Um, a lot of our bats that live in trees and things will tend to live in generally smaller groups. So anywhere from, say, five to ten bats up to maybe a hundred, depending on the time of year. So in summer or spring, summer, when bats are having their babies, because bats, as a general rule, only have babies once a year, um, that's when all the girls will come together in, and form bigger groups and have all their babies together and kind of take turns looking after them and Hmm. it's a really cool little system that they sort of like want. a nanny or like a yeah, yeah. and they'll be like oh, okay you look after the kids for a few hours I'm gonna have something to eat and then I'll come back and you can go and have something to eat and I'll look after the kids so it's hmm. it's it's 
um, there's been a lot of studies on bat social behavior and things like that around the world. And what we found is they have really complex social structures um, and it sets them on the high tier of intelligence in animals up there with primates and dolphins and, and things like that. So they're really, really intelligent. And usually they'll kick the boys out because they kind of get in the way. <laughs> so most of the groups tend to be females. Um, but we often see different species living together as well. So they're not aggressively territorial. Um, for example, I had a, a roost coming today um, that was living in a bungalow that was getting demolished. So I've had 36 bats come in today. Oh. Um, 35 of them are Gould's waddled bats. And then there's just one lonely chocolate waddled bat in there. <laughs> Why not? You know, hang out, have a party. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've found Gould's waddled bats in birds' nests just hanging out. Like it's warm, it's safe. Yeah. Wow. Why not? Yeah. So they're not aggressively territorial, but they are really, really social. And um, we have found that there are, in their calls, small dialectical differences. So certain family groups um, will have slight dialectical differences depending on where they are, um, you know, in the country or in the state. Um, there will be these slight differences. And there's also been studies on baby bats, and we found that baby bats learn their different social calls and their echolocation calls um, in a similar fashion to human babies through babbling, which is just mm. adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so they're kind of learning these calls by kind of, you know, babbling them out and figuring it out as, as a human baby would. Yeah. So you have to tell us all about the roost that just arrived at, you, <laughs> at your place today. Uh, but let's take a song break first. We're gonna check in with you again after the song Bats in the Attic by King Creosote and John Hopkins. And I've gone silver in my travels Growing silver in my sideburns I'm starting to unravel Hurt my heartbeat on a downhill I counted 18 on my pulse As Kareni Church struck three for three o'clock What else? What else? And you said in retirement the hours go by like sips of water the record lies unbroken and no doubt it's white flour in my diet it's going to be the death of me sweet drum roll for those in bitter big ideas Such a waste of all that I had. You mentioned bats in the attic, so now you're lifting up the tiles to get around those conservation rules and walk down in the basement. I'm hanging. 
gag across my mealy mouth And how I'll laugh I've loved about that When I read your simple novel It uses all the real names And go make yourself a fortune There's nothing left for us Than us left dangling just a little shame Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. Have you heard of Long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We're here with Erica talking microbats in Melbourne. You just heard the song Bats in the Attic by King Creosote and John Hopkins. So, Erica, you just told us earlier that a whole roost of bats arrived at your place today. Um, what, what is happening? What? What do they need from you now? Yeah, so um, they were brought in to me today. Um, they were living inside the roof of a, a small bungalow and um, the guy who was renovating it kind of pulled the roof off and went, oh, my God, bats, <laughs> gave us a call. So um, we went out and got them. They're all in really good nick. Um, so they should only be with me for a few days before we can get them back out um, to their home, which is really, really good. Um in situations like this where we do find a roof in an area that's being renovated, it can be quite tricky 
because bats are really habitual. So if this was like a, a kind of a slow demolition where you're just kind of working on a little bit every day, I would have to be really careful about returning them because one, I have to return them from where they came from because they've got set hunting routes that they use. They know where their food sources are. They know where their water sources are. And bats will also have several backup roosts. So if one, say they're in, living in a tree and the tree fell down, they would need a backup place to go. So um, if, if this was a slow demolition and he was only working on little bits at a time and I went to release them tonight, they would just go straight back in there and we'd have the same problem tomorrow and the day after. Um, luckily for us, mm. he's ripping the whole thing down today. So that works out really well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'll just keep them in for a few days, give them a good feed, um, which we feel them, feed them mealworms. And the mealworms have been fed a special nutrient-rich diet so to make them healthy for the bats because um, mealworms on their own are just as if I went and bought the maccas every night, which is not ideal. Um, and then, yeah, we'll just release them and they can get on with their lives, which is good. Um, it's one of the easier rescues for us. Um, sometimes, depending on the situation, rescues can be in for several months at a time, healing from injuries and things like that. So we like the short ones. They're best for us, best for the bats, get the bats home when mm. they um, you know, know where they are. Um, yeah. but yeah, we, I mean, I couldn't do what I do if people that found bats didn't call them in and give us the opportunity yeah. to come out and help them. So that's, we're really thankful for people that will call either microbats of Melbourne directly, or they'll call somewhere like wildlife Victoria, who can then get in touch with me and say, we've got the situation. Can you go out and help? And so, yeah, I couldn't help the bats without yeah. people calling them in. So that's real, a really important aspect as well. Should, if, if someone's not renovating, they're just sort of pottering around and they, they go up into their, their roof to store something and they see they've got some microbats living in the, in the roof, should they be worried? Is there anything wrong with microbats living in the roof? Um, are there any concerns, maybe electrical stuff? Like if you had, um, I used to, I did some work on common starlings and they would nest in roofs and they build these nice um, comfy grass nests for their uh, their chicks and their their nest, and I went into some roofs where the starlings had obviously been nesting there for years, if not decades, and their grass nests were literally. I think there was one that was about fifty centimeters high, and about two meters wide. It was just hay and hay, and that becomes like a, a serious mm. risk for mm. fire and things. Definitely. The bats. Is there any problem with having bats in your in your roof? Should you should you be calling someone like yourself, or can you just leave them there if you're happy with them to be there? That's a, that's a really, really good question. And one we get asked about nearly on a daily basis. Um, so um, long answer short, no, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> um, there's there's a lot of concerns when it comes, when we say bats, people kind of go, oh, bats, disease, gross. There's really only one disease mm. that we worry about with bats. Um, so I'll go into that a little bit. Uh, it's called Australian bat lysivirus, just ABLV for short. And this is our kind of Australian rabies, if you like. It's a rabies cousin, um, causes the same disease. As bat rescuers, we are vaccinated against rabies um, because we get protection from ABLV from the rabies vaccine. Um, so they're very closely related. Um, but less than 1% of wild bats will carry the virus. But it's one of those things where we'll say to people that you shouldn't touch bats, especially barehanded, 
but generally avoid touching bats just as an over precautious kind of thing. Bats living in your roof is really, there's not really any problems there. They don't chew wires. They don't bring any foreign material into nest. Um, they just kind of sit there. They, they do poop in your roof, but all they eat is bugs. So their poop is 90% bug shell. So <laughs> we've had people renovating their house. They'll pull the roof off and they'll go, oh my God, there's bats. And they may have been there for 20, 30 years. And they've just, they've had no idea. So a lot of people have bats mm. in their roof and not even know it. And really what you're getting is free insect control because, you know, they're coming out every night. They're eating half to their body weight in bugs every night. And that's bugs that aren't annoying you. And they're not going to chew your wires. They're not going to like, unlike the starlings, they're not going to bring any grass or anything into your roof to make a fire hazard. Um, they don't, do a lot of weeing so there's not a lot of moisture damage that's going to happen the most you're going to hear is maybe some squeaks every now and then as they kind of argue with each other um <laughs> but that's about that's about the biggest hassle you're going to have to deal with so usually we try to recommend people just to leave them as they are um they are a native species so all the bats in australia are native we don't have any introduced bats so there is that level of um federal protection as with all other native species. So we can't just come in and rip them out for no reason. Um, if there is some kind of obvious damage or obvious risk that you're having, you know, you want to do some renovations, you want to fix some holes and that's going to impact the bats, then we will definitely work with you. We'd say, call us, we'll work with you to find a solution that works for you and for the bats in the best way possible. Whether that be, that might be removing the bats so you can seal up some holes or it might just be, uh, working at a better solution um, we do recommend that or if anyone's worried about if their bats are causing damage or if they're a health risk we say please definitely call us we're more than happy to talk to you about it um, because we'd rather have that open dialogue with you um, than for you just to go ahead and do something and maybe cause some harm to some bats and in the current state that Australia is in we really don't need to be losing any more animals if we're honest so <laughs> yeah so on, on the flip side if someone and you know like, like you just mentioned um that the state of australia there's lots of good conversations being had around urban biodiversity and trying to um, support animals who do live in urban environments if someone wanted to try to support microbats in their in their yard or their house similar to how people um, plant trees for birds backyard birds or for wildlife is there anything that people could do to support microbats it could, can you try to set up like the conditions so a colony can live in your roof yeah definitely so a lot of a lot of those things are overlapping so you know things that are going to attract birds plants that are going to attract birds plants that are going to attract native insects um are going to attract bats so if we can increase the insect diversity we can increase the diversity of all of our animals so it starts at that bottom level of can we make a, a, an environment that's sustainable for our native insects? That's going to help all the animals above in the food chain. Leaving mm. dead trees, um, you know, as long as they're not a risk, obviously, of falling down. Um, you can get an arborist to have a look and go, you know, yeah, this tree's a hazard, this one isn't. Leaving those dead trees for hollows not only helps things like possums and birds, you know, a lot of our parrots live in hollows and things like that. It also helps a lot of our bats. A lot of our bats love to live in gaps in bark, in hollows um, and in uh, trails dug by boring 
beetle larva and things like that. We've found bats in those little tiny holes. So everything like that is all really good. Um, bat boxes is another really popular thing that you can put up. Um, I think in other states, they tend to have more success with a variety of species using the bat boxes. We tend to see them taking over by usually one species, which is the Gould's Waddle bat. They seem to really love the bat boxes. So um, there is a website um, called Australasian, australasianbats.org.com, one of those. Um, but it has some tips on the direction to face bat boxes because that's also really important is you want to get the the sun in the afternoon to warm the bats up oh. to get them out in the to get them ready for the evening yeah so it gives you tips on how high to hang them what to hang them around and what direction to hang them in because those things are all important to encouraging bats to use the box mm. um we get a lot of people calling up going oh i've put my bat box up three years ago and there's no bats in it and you know it's not been hung high enough or it's not facing the right direction so that website helps give you a lot of tips on mm. not only how to build them but how what direction to face them in how high things like that is the uh, website ausbats.org.au. That's the one. Welcome to the Australasian Bat Society. So that's yes. just, again, for those listening, ausbats.org.au. Yep. And what are the, while we're giving the listeners notes, what's, uh, what are the numbers they should call to call Microbats Melbourne directly or Wildlife Victoria? So to call Microbats of Melbourne directly, that's a mobile number. And they can call... 0407-636688 or they can call Wildlife Victoria, which is a 24-hour service on 8400-7300. Yeah, so put that in your phone as a, as a handy tool. Yeah, Erica, you mentioned that now you have quite an easy case of care for pets, but what are the difficult cases? What injuries do they sustain and what is the work that you need to do then yeah so um cat attacks as i mentioned before are one that we need to put the bats on antibiotics for at least a week mm. to make sure they don't get any infections um then if they've got tears in their wing membranes or in their skin or things like that then we have to treat them and wait for them to heal up which can be anywhere from say a week to a month or two and that's just keeping them in care and feeding them, providing them with um, nutrient-rich food and an environment where they can exercise so that they can heal. Um, and then <clears throat> the other one, we've I've got a uh, bat in at the moment who had a broken arm. So he was a case in which we, I was able to take him to the Healesville Sanctuary, um, the zoo there at Healesville. Mm -hmm. They have a wildlife vet service there. And they were actually able to put a pin in his arm. So he had broken his uh, Fibula? <laughs> this is a listener question. <laughs> if you know the answer, text in. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were able to put a pin in that. Um, and that pin was in for four weeks. Uh, and it's since been taken out now. Mm. And so now we're doing, uh, well, I'm doing a lot of physiotherapy with him, doing short flights to get him moving that arm again, but making sure that he's got somewhere soft to land so he doesn't re-break it. Um, and so that that case is going to be six to eight months oh. um, of looking after that one particular bat. So each each one is slightly different, um, but we do whatever needs to be done to get these bats the help that they need. So yeah. It's so impressive that um, we have the capability to 
you know, put a pin in a bat's wing. I mean, I, I can't imagine that 30, 40, 50 years ago we would be talking about these sorts of things. Bats are so delicate. Mm. Their bones are so... Um, so uh, light and delicate that that sort of that sort of surgery, I imagine, isn't just an easy thing to do, and it's just incredibly impressive. And that that there's people like yourself, Erica, and, and Microbats Australia who are there to support the bats to um, to get to get better. It's so inspiring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're really lucky that we have the support of the Zoo Victoria Group that will see our bats. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of vets, because of the association with ABLV, will just say we don't see bats. So while they'll take in like possums and birds and native animals and things like that, they they won't see our bats for us. So we rely really heavily on the Zoos Victoria group and we're really, really thankful that not only will they see the bats for us, but these are vets that have an array of skills. If you can imagine the zoos that we've got, the animals they've got to take care of. And they're willing to put that expertise, the time and the equipment into helping our bats for us. So they play a huge part in, in our ability to help as well. So we're, we're really lucky to have a really supportive mm. group there. Yeah, let's take another song break. You'll hear Help by Mikaisha. Shaking, falling to my knees 
Online and in cinema, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival will be running online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July. Canvassing the world's best docos from South by Southwest, Tribeca and Hot Docs, as well as the best Australian content. Check out the lineup and book today at mdff.org.au or cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. It is important to stay up to date with your COVID-19 vaccinations, including your booster dose. Getting a booster means you'll increase your protection against severe disease and continue protecting your loved ones and community against COVID-19. You can get your free COVID-19 booster dose if you received your second dose of a COVID-19 vaccination at least three months ago. To book an appointment, visit australia.gov.au or call 1-800-020-080 and select 8 if you need an interpreter. Visit health.gov.au or speak to your doctor to find out when you are eligible. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. Welcome listeners back to Freedom of Species. You just heard Help by Mikaisha. We're talking bets with Erica and uh, we've just heard amazing stories about how you can care for bets. So when did, how did this care, this knowledge about bets and their behavior, their biology, when did this sort of develop and how far have we come? Like, is there much to learn still? Yeah, that's a really good question. We have so much to learn about bats still. Um, I mean, there's 1,400 species of bats worldwide, um, Mm -hmm. and that's always increasing as we find more and we learn more about them. Um, There's 80-odd species of bats just in Australia alone, and each one is ever so different to the next. Um, And... In the past several decades, we've come so far in microbat care. I've been doing this uh, for about three years now, so I'm still kind of a baby in the in the wildlife care scene. Um, but we've come from a place, especially in Victoria, where we didn't have a lot of specialisation in microbat care. So um, our wildlife carers would take them in as best they could and do the best they could, but we just didn't have that information that we do now and that's you know the internet has played a big part in that and just people willing to help so we've got people all across the country um, who talk to each other and you know on Facebook groups and things like that who will say I've got this problem and everyone will come in and try and help and, and, and solve the problem and give the best advice they can and it's such a really friendly environment and for that I'm really really thankful that the microbat community is is really a lovely community 
Um, and then we also work with people overseas. So I've, I've been, I've talked to other carers in the US and in the UK um, about things that they do with their bats. And if we can um, do that over here and um, one of the ladies at Spearheads, Marker Bat Care, she's in Queensland. Um, she developed the milk formula that we use for baby bats with the help of a team in the US. So it's all these different things. It's really, it's a, it's a massive community across the world and we all try and help each other the best we can. And that's allowed us to advance our care that we do to such a huge extent that, you know, we've got three different formulas that we can use for baby bats. Mm. It's never going to be as good as mum's milk. And, you know, three different formulas for 20 different species of bats is still not ideal, but it's come a long way from where we were, which was just feeding like goat's milk or, you know, puppy milk, which was making bats sick and they were dying and we didn't know why. And so we've come a really long way and, you know, we've, we've got things where we can use chicken egg brooders, which are humidity controlled and temperature controlled to facilitate the environment that we need for baby bats because they're born completely hairless. And so we need to keep them at, for example, 38 degrees at 80% humidity for the first few weeks of their life. And that's just not something you can do without specialised machines that we can get. And, you know, those machines are anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000. And so it's help from the community that lets us get them as well. So even the community then comes in and plays a big part in allowing us to buy the equipment that we need to be able to service these animals. So scientific research about bats and their environments and their biological needs and then the husbandry of bats really coming together and then we get the help from the vets and it all just meshes together into the care that we can give today so yeah we've come we've come so far but we there's still so much we don't know about bats and especially from a medication standpoint bat metabolism and their immune system and things uh, we're, we're still learning about that in the scientific community that we still don't know how how do bats carry all these you know viruses mm. how, how are all these diseases always linked back to bats mm. but why aren't bats getting sick you know that's stuff we still don't fully understand and so when we're medicating bats we're going does this work in bats and they're so small that the doses are so small so we're still always learning but we have this massive worldwide community now that we can really work together and, and do the best we can. So it's, yeah, it's come a long way. Yeah. If you look back at the three years you've been doing this, that this is there a story of an individual bat who sticks yes. with you? There yeah. is. I got him tattooed on me. That's this guy. <laughs> For the listeners on radio, she is pointing at a, a tattoo of a bat on her arm. Tell us about him or her. So this is a little bat. His name was Pippi um, and he was a large forest bat and he came to me after being stuck on the sticky fly paper. Mm. Now, sticky fly paper has since been banned in Victoria um, and there's a lot of states trying to follow our lead um, where we've had it. We've had a complete ban in Victoria. You can't sell it. You can't use it. It's illegal now. We still see it in shops every now and then, but we've managed to get the band through, which is amazing. Um, so little Pip was stuck on flypaper. People that found him, they did everything right. They took the rest of the flypaper down. You know, they brought him straight to me and he survived. However, the flypaper actually dissolved the entirety of his right wing. Mm. So he couldn't be released. Um, but he was, 
we formed a really, really tight little bond and he would just kind of hang out with me during the day and he he really bonded with me and he didn't act like that with any other person. So it wasn't just like he got used to people. It was, there was something the two of us had between one another and uh, mm. he, he will stick with me forever. He was one very mm. special little batty. Yes. And how did that go in care? Like, could he just live the rest of his life um, with you or? Um... Yeah. So he, he recently passed away sadly, um, mm. but he, he did stay with me for several years and he it was actually really great because if I got a bat in and you know I didn't have any others he was a bat there that would keep them company Mm. and he would go and kind of soothe them and calm them and this is all right you know it's all right this human feeds us worms she's okay so (laughs) he was just like this big well not big he's tiny he was just like this little Mm. grandpa bat all the others that came Mm. in so he was he was just one of the best natured bats I've had really sweet Mm. really chill he was wonderful and I was wondering since most of their vocalization is outside of our hearing range if it's echolocation how how do you do that in care how can they let you know what they don't want you to do or do want you to do like how does that sort of communication go between you yeah so yeah like you said their echolocation is in a decibel range that's above our hearing. So we can't hear them. I think if we could, we'd all go insane with the amount that we'd hear at nighttime while just chirping and carrying on. <laughs> Their communication noises, though, we can hear. Um, not all of it, but we can. There's a lot of squeaks, a lot of chirps, um, sometimes cranky, sometimes happy. Bats love arguing, I've found, over the last three years. It's like their favourite activity. <laughs> If a bat can argue about something, a bat will argue about it, 100%. Um, so those those vocalizations we can hear. But, you know, often I'll pick one up and you'll just see their mouth moving and I know that they're echolocating, but I can't hear it. Mm. Um, but even those vocalizations, vocalizations we can hear, I because um, you asked me for a recording, when mm. I record it with my phone and I play it back, there's all this audio that comes through on the microphone that I couldn't hear. So it's not a recording of of what I was hearing. Mm. So then it makes it really hard to go, oh, this is what bats sound like because, you know, yeah. I play it back and there's all these pops and cracks going on in the in the background that I, I wasn't able to hear. So they have a really complex vocal system that they're able to do these sounds that I can hear, but they're also at the same time doing sounds that I can't hear. So it's mm. it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I love how it shows that you know, our own human experience is very limited, but there is, and their experience is so much broader than, than what we can do. But there is an overlap where you do communicate and interact and, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and there's definitely... Have a shared world. There's examples, like, um, there's a few videos that I've put on social media. On my Facebook and Instagram, Microbats Melbourne, huh? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll, well, I'll put the links in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's a few videos there where I'm, I'm talking to bats and you, they do that puppy dog thing where their ears come forward and they kind of go, oh, and they're tilting their head back and forth and they're like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> what? I don't understand you. So there definitely is hearing going on from them and I can hear some of what they're saying. So there, there is a, well, there's a language barrier, shall we say. There is definitely <laughs> a communication happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's really cool um so how can people um 
support microbats Melbourne other than you know calling in for bats and doing support for the other bats but um where are you where are you online uh how can people find you yeah so um social media is the best place to find me so um facebook instagram and tiktok and hopefully mm -hmm. later this year i can get a youtube channel up and running but i'm still working on that mm. um And that's where I share a lot of pictures of the bats that come in and a lot of their stories and things like that. And I think one of the biggest things people can do to help bats, um, because obviously, you know, they're wildlife, so we don't want people running out and finding them and catching them and doing all that kind of thing. The best thing people can do for bats is, one, learn about them. Mm. And then, two, one, learn about it. Spread the good word about bats because we are really fighting an uphill battle with decades of a negative image that bats have been given. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that go, bats, ew. And mm. I can't blame people for that. You know, that's the story we've been given our whole lives is, you know, bats have disease and they're gross and they want to suck your blood and, you know, all that kind of thing. And it's just, it's not true. And bats have such an important ecological role. There's so many plants and flowers that rely on bats for pollination. There's, there's, <laughs> in, we don't do too many studies here in, in Australia, but there's a study in the US that bats save, oh, it's like $23 billion in US agriculture pesticide use. So, mm. you know, there's, there's this immense bug eating capacity that we just kind of don't take into consideration that without bats, we'd be overrun by bugs. It's a horrifying thought. Like it's just, um, and so, yeah, the ecological role is so, so important that I just encourage people to do a bit of reading, um, look at some pictures because of the diversity of bats and how different they look. And they're specialized to each part of the world where they're from. And, you know, we've got our own native ones. And then once you learn this, actually go out and talk to people about bats. And, you know, when they say, ew, say, actually, let me tell you something about bats. <laughs> because once we change that negative stereotype about bats, we're going to be in such a better place. Hmm. Have there been any examples of where you, for example, when you attend a call and you um, interact also with the people at that call, you know, the pets are frantic, the people are frantic. Um, are there good, yeah, has there been a positive story of people who really came around to pets while you were there explaining or showing? There have been so many. It's so hmm. great. People kind of go, oh my God, get it out. Oh, da -da. And when I catch the bat and I'm like, come and have a look, you know, I've got it now. It's not flying anywhere. Come and have a look. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. I just don't want it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come and have a look. And they come over and they see this tiny little face. It's so fluffy. And they've got these stunning wings and this little pug face. And then people just go, oh, they're actually really cute. And I go, yeah, yeah, they are. Oh, they're so cute. And then they, they start asking questions. And then when I start telling them and they go, oh, that's actually really cool. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So it, it just takes that one little bit of you finding out some, some cool fact about a bat that you go, oh, I wonder what else. And then you go and read something else. And then you realize bats are really, really cool. <laughs> so I am, I am absolutely tickled pink every time that happens because it doesn't, it really doesn't take much to turn people around. Hmm. 
Well, thank you, Erica, so much for um, sharing your enthusiasm and your knowledge with us today. It's been really wonderful hearing about the microbets, and I hope that listeners, um, if they, yeah, I hope that listeners have come around if they weren't there already, um, and are eager to explore more about microbets. So, um, thanks so much, Erica. Thank you so much for letting me come and talk about bats. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> We'll do a we'll do a follow up show. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so Freedom of Species is back next week at one one p.m. at three CR Community Radio. We'll make way for rotations to follow right after the song "Always Remember" by Dreaming Now. Open eyes to see ancestors asking many questions What are these lessons I compressed upon now it dresses Fuels drop addiction guesses anyone's best guesses Now they got generations seeking mass convalescence Eucalyptus widowed by devious shepherds Totems taken with no conscience or questions No concept or consciousness of things before the present Vacuous and empty like the windswept desert Heroin howls under the moon crescent and the noon sunrise To change the present we arrange trauma laden Generations fed up but the focus to be better in spot colonial resin Fermented in these strange weathers Some seem to get stuck in quagmires Vision torn and severed but original lines Always remembered hold together in the now As we hold on to forevermore treasures We always remember our Always remember Yeah, we always remember why Forevermore, yeah We always remember why Always remember Yeah, we always remember why Some, they lost frames, claim divine name change We arrange strange ways, submerged in haze Gray upon halcyon days, out unseen in the maze Destitute ways, left with the loot and skip frames Top conditions, formulated wild renditions Play victims in written cinematic systems But they got a dome messed up land covered in division Wild incisions, a carnage of innocent fixing Why just sit and wait here for a minute Spirit get to floating up beyond metropolis This river locomotion, hear the Trick release the pain beyond the hocus pocus Open heart release into the soul's love and devotion From eons before to the very present moment I just sit and analyze Reacquaint and scope but I'm still here trying to stay blessed Stand strong and spot Stresses trickle down a riffing conquest Another warrior woman just trying to get rest on this quest The world close eyes focus and catch breath Stoke and fire containing ashes from the sacred pot With a laugh dripping down create the spirit lot yes We always remember why Always remember Yeah, we always remember why Forevermore, yeah We always remember why Always remember Yeah, we always remember why All the 
the spirit in the land you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to all the w's.3cr.org.au